Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. Thank you, Kelly. This is the Reverend Dr. Mike Hegeman here at the Friend Park Center for Faith and Life. We have with us today the Reverend Dr. Eric Barreto, who is the Weyerhaeuser Associate Professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. He and some of the seminary students from Princeton are spending a week with us, and we thought we would pick Eric's brain about uh, some topics about faith. Last night, we had a lecture from Eric about the shape of salvation, diving into the book of Luke and broadening our understanding of what salvation can mean. Eric, would you give us a little recap of uh, that lecture and just, just a couple of minutes here yeah. just to get us started here? Happy to be here. Thanks, Mike, for having me, and thanks for all the great hospitality the church has shown us. Uh, last night, what we were trying to do is to think widely about the shape of salvation in the Gospel of Luke, starting by thinking about my own experience um, in a church that I love and loved, uh, but also a sense that salvation often felt narrow, that salvation involved what happened the moment my brain stopped working, my heart stopped beating, my lungs stopped breathing. And to see in the Gospel of Luke uh, um, a narration of salvation that's much more expansive, much more tangible, uh, much more every day. One of the places I often like to start is to think about Jesus' first sermon. He reads from the prophet Isaiah and stands up and proclaims, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Not tomorrow, not next week, not in the in the years to come, not when I'm crucified or when I'm resurrected, not when I return once again, but today this, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the ways that Jesus transforms people's lives, heals them, saves them from whether illness or isolation along the way. And that the pictures we have then of salvation, the Gospel of Luke, aren't just pictures of what happened when Jesus was around um, in, 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 um, in, in Galilee in that first century, but the way that Jesus is still present with us, still saving us, still delivering us in our everyday lives. So looking for these pictures for what salvation might look like for us today. Yeah, and one of the places that you, you stopped for us, or we stopped and visited, was a scene with um, a man named Zacchaeus. Yes. Right. And I think there, there's a lot going on in this story. And we'll just quickly remind folks that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. You, you talked to us last night. You told us the, the, the reasons why Zacchaeus was on the outside of society or on the margin or the fringe, uh, because he was a tax collector, because he was short in stature. That was a kind of a new, a new <laughs> idea since that, that because he was different. His body didn't conform mm -hmm. to norms, and therefore he was somehow outside of mm -hmm. God's picture of righteousness. Uh, but um, I've forgotten what the other one was. He's a short, rich, rich, right, yes, tax right, collector. Right, right yeah. rich. And it was how he had gotten rich and kind of put him into the category of, you know, we see how God's justice, in, especially in the, in the prophetic writings, God's justice comes against those who have gained mm -hmm. by oppressing others. Yeah. And so Zacchaeus was not a winner, and I mean, because he had those three strikes against him. Right, right. One of the things that, to me, is the play of words, especially of names in that scene. Mm. Uh, Zacchaeus, you know, uh, I'm trying to exactly remember, I, I think maybe I associate him with a sense of, uh, it's not, anyway, that there's... Z Zacchaeus, I'm thinking Sadiq, which is righteousness, oh, is there, but it may, oh, may or not be. I may not need to go question. there. I don't know, may yeah. not to go there, but 
But the other name in the story is the name of Jesus. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I don't know how I went through so many years of seminary and biblical training and never landed on the idea that Jesus, his name, Hebrew would have been Yahashua, yeah. which we translate as Joshua. Yeah. And Aramaic is Yeshua, which has all the rings and overtones of salvation. salvation. The yeah. God who saves. The yeah. God who saves. Yeah. And so this final closing scene when Jesus says, okay, Zacchaeus, uh, I'm going to your house today. Mm-hmm. And he gets there. Yeah. And Zacchaeus has already made this proclamation. Like, oh, look, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay back yeah. four times, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesus walks in the room. I mean, he, we, then the scene shifts very quickly to yeah. he's in Zacchaeus' home. And he says, salvation has come to your house today. And when you use that phrase, the shape of salvation, mm-hmm. I'm thinking you were giving us dimensionality. Sure. You were giving us depth and breadth, all of that. But one of the things, too, is that salvation, which is what Jesus represents, yeah. takes human shape. Indeed. Indeed. And he yeah. walks in the room. Yeah. One of the ways I like to think about it is, so, you know, he starts in Luke chapter 4 saying, uh, the spirit is anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And then that's precisely what happens in the wake of Jesus' presence. Wherever he goes, those are the kinds of things that happen. It's as if his body is this daily presence of salvation. So I loved, I hadn't thought about it this way, but at the end of that Zacchaeus story, when Jesus says, today salva- salvation has come to this house, there's a couple of different layers to that. To be sure that Zacchaeus, the once isolated uh, once lost member of this community has now been brought back into this community and found belonging. That that's his salvation. And two, to think about not just Zacchaeus, but think of his household also being delivered by the presence of Jesus. But I love this, Mike, to think about um, Jesus, the very presence of Jesus in his house as a as a embodiment, the presence of salvation in Zacchaeus's house. I hadn't thought about it in that in that dimension, and and I think that's really really powerful. Actually. Right, and. I love what we bring up that earlier from Luke 4, mm-hmm. where we have um, what Jesus proclaims from the gospel, from the prophet Isaiah, That's right. as gospel, yeah. right, as good news. And yeah. he says, uh, I've come to, to proclaim good news to the poor. All the things he lists there are dimensions of salvation. Yes, and so sure, that, yeah. what you, you know, when I, my first real experience with salvation language Came, I grew up in a Christian denomination that didn't focus on that. Mm-hmm. And so then I went to a university, Southern Baptist University, and the parlance there was salvation. Yeah. And it, yeah. to me, didn't have, the experience there was the demarcation of in and out kind of language. Yeah. That, that what you began us with today, saying that uh, at the point of death, do you know what your status mm-hmm. will be? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, what I've, and I always found that as a sense of, this was more than just a theological statement among, you know, 20 year olds. This was a social statement as well. Oh, Who's in and out kind of yeah, interpersonally. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so that, that, that added to the sense of angst around this right. word salvation yeah. and off-puttingness. And so what you're doing for us is, is adding us, I mean, again, adding dimension to this, yeah. to this word. I think, so I grew up in similar, in similar churches and I think, yes, it was about who's in and out. I think that's really, really powerful. It's a sense, it was, um, kind of a code for belonging for, or not even for belonging, but for uh, insider group as opposed to an outsider group. But below that was this deep well of anxiety uh, about whether or not my most recent behavior 
kept me in or pushed me out of God's own grace, which I think misses the the, the gift of grace. Not something we and, and we talked a lot about not earning our salvation, and yet so that anxiety suggests to me that we did have this worry that that salvation could be taken away from us, not even taken away from us, that we could deny ourselves the salvation that God had given us. Yeah, I had a friend that I met at the same college, and he told me about his growing up years. As a teenager, he was baptized three times. Yep, I know because this. Yes, because he had he himself says maybe I wasn't sincere. Oh, what's the word? Sincere yeah, enough, yeah. sincere enough the first time, the second time, and even the third time, yeah. and uh, and that I recognized it was kind of anxiety I didn't grow up with. Yeah. I mean, as far as right. my sense of, I could say that uh, my own experience of Christian faith maybe had its own lack of dimension because all we heard was God loves you, yeah, and and that there wasn't maybe enough space for self-examination for us to wonder in what ways might I be faithful to the God that has given me this grace. I think. There are pitfalls at either side of this, but I, I know the pitfall on one side more than the other. So part of the work I'm trying to do is to expand our sense of not just the gift of salvation, but I think also then the the way that, that God calls us into life, into renewed life, into transformed life in that salvation, and not just in the future, but uh, in the moment right now. Yeah. And so one of the things you drew us to last night, too, is as as you were refocusing us or our attention on the possibility of salvation erupting on the scene in our yep. midst, or not even, uh, there could be that erupting, kind of breaking in kind of salvation experience here and now, which is release of the captives, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. I mean, all yep. these yep. amazing things that can happen in the presence and through the presence of Jesus. But but also kind of alert, you were wanted to alert us to saying, okay, now, we're reclaiming this here and nowness yep. and possibility of salvation yep. in our presence, but you also said it still has a it ha, it's yeah. beyond the moment and it, and it we're drawn sure. into this, yeah. this the future dimension of that and you know Paul the apostle Paul you know, the beloved Paul he he has this one phrase which troubles a lot of people hmm. it says work out your salvation, salvation yeah. with fear and trembling yeah. and yeah. so. Talk, walk us through back a sense of what you wanted to focus us on, yeah. on the sense of the future orientation of keeping that dimension of salvation. But also, what is that? What is Paul? How does Paul's phrase in there uh, uh, work for you? It's a great question. So I think part of what Luke is doing that I think is striking is bringing us into the everyday stuff of life, into the everyday need for healing, for eating, for gathering, for belonging. And saying when Jesus draws near to us, we're saved in those everyday uh, moments when, we, when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we need the presence of other people, when we need that healing. And I think that Luke then is also um, quite honest about the realities that Jesus did not heal every person with skin disease, did not um, heal every woman with the issue of blood, right? Did not... Uh, find every lost tax collector and bring them back into community. Um, that suggests to me two things. One is that there is this call upon us as followers of Jesus to continue that work. But more importantly, is that that work will only be fully consummated at Jesus' return hmm. in the power of the resurrection. So the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, so this is the same author writing these two texts, closes with the ascension and opens with the ascension in Acts with the promise that Jesus would return in the same way. So Luke 
this gospel, this author, so concerned with the everyday stuff of salvation, also has an eye towards the future, towards a future consummation of all these promises that God has made. And that as real as those promises are right now, there's also this expectation that there's also this, this greater sense of grace and inclusion and new life possible still in the offing. Now, what does that mean for us? It means not that we get to sit around and wait for Jesus to return, but precisely because of the, 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 the certainty of Jesus' return, the certainty of that resurrection power in our future, that means that we can live in hope, uh, in, in bold hope today. So it brings all those pieces together. Now, our friend Paul, and working our salvation out with fear and trembling, I think um, a lot, so many things we might say about that, but part of where I might want to focus for our conversation in light of where we've been is, is that whilst that salvation is a gift that God has given us, but it's a gift, it, it doesn't come with strings, but it does come with um, responses that God might call us to. Um, that there is a way that we would be gra- grateful and humbled and uh, empowered by that gift of salvation. And if that's the case, if we're humbled and we're uh, emboldened by what God has done for us, then what does that open us up to do in a world so full of death and division uh, and riven with loss and grief? It allows us and it calls us to be these uh, agents of of hopefulness and change, Um, not because we're awesome, but because God has already done the work on our behalf. Right, and we think about Zacchaeus himself, this person who... Uh, receives this gift of salvation, which is part of hospitality. I mean, he opens, he has hospitality and offers hospitality and Christ as salvation comes into his world and life. But there is this tipping point between which comes first mm-hmm. or you know, there's yeah. a sense of the sense of is his proclamation that I am going to do the work of sadiq yeah, or I mean right. righteousness, right? right, right of yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, saying I'm, I'm going, this is very important in that society is yeah. to show my, not just my piety, but my, yeah. uh, say I'm, I'm taking responsibility for my, my status with God, for yeah. grace of God. Yeah. And he responds to this eruption of grace in his life by saying, I will restore, yeah. you know, yeah. I will restore where I have wronged. Yeah. And, I, I haven't really thought about that, that there are others that you pointed out to us who receive the grace of salvation, the gift, the immensity of salvation in their lives, which are then called to live out that mm-hmm. salvation mm-hmm. in a way. So we see it in Zacchaeus. He's, yeah. He responds with saying, I'm going to live differently. But I never thought about the woman with the, with the issue of blood. How mm-hmm. does? In, but when, you're, when you just said, Jesus didn't heal everybody. There wasn't like a wave, yeah. a, a, a ripple or a wave of healing that went around and the it's world. it's still true in our midst, right? That we right. still are struggling with illness and sickness. So right. it, it, yeah. And so one that received healing, yeah. I've never thought about that. That yeah. her gift of, and there's a, we, we, you know, we, it's too long to go deeply yeah. into this, but there's a close link between salvation and healing. Yes. The words in the New Testament, we know can be translated sometimes one way or the other. She received healing, she received salvation. Salvation, Your faith has, we different English translations will go, your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you. So what is, how, you know, the sense of, I never thought about now she has a response, she she has the opportunity for response or responsibility for that salvation, how she enacts that in the world. So So. a couple of examples come come to mind. One is to think about the garrison demoniac, where the, the formerly... Kerosene demoniac in the Gospel of Luke, he, um, you know, he has this experience where he's chained up, he's kept on the borders of belonging in his community, 
Um, and when he's healed, the, his neighbors are afraid. Because I kind of wonder if for them, as long as the forces of death were isolated in one person's body, then the rest of us were safe. But now that he's been made well, those demons might be anywhere. And they are so afraid of him. They're afraid of Jesus. They ask Jesus to please leave because they've disrupted the social order in that community. And the former demoniac wants to go with Jesus. Hmm. And so often Jesus is telling people, drop everything and come with me. And he's like, I'm ready. Let's do this thing. And Jesus tells him to stay. I wonder if part of the reason Jesus asks him to stay is that that community itself needs to be saved too. Um, he needed to be saved from this force of demons, but now they need to be saved from the fear of the unknown, this fear that this person who they once feared is now one of their neighbors, that they need to have this experience of having him back in the community with them. Uh, and the other example I think of is the, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet. Um, at that We talked about this last night, this, this story. One thing I didn't get to talk about just because of time is um, Jesus says, your faith has saved you, says, says to her, but she never speaks in the narrative. So I always like to think, well, when was it that she showed faith? Well, our first thought might be she showed faith when she came and anointed Jesus' feet, like this very public display of affection and love. But Jesus says um, that she, um, she, um, she was saved, and hence, then she showed great love. Well, when did she show great love? I think when she anointed Jesus' feet with oil. So I wonder when she showed faith was not when she was anointing his feet. When she showed faith was when she had the courage to believe that Jesus would be different than everyone else in her life. Everyone else in her life sees her as a sinner. But she had to take this bold, courageous step to go into this party where she was not invited and believe that Jesus would treat her differently despite all evidence to the contrary. That sometimes faith is a step that's not um, doesn't emerge from the things that we say, but where we choose to put our bodies uh, in places that require great courage. And then that spills over, not just, not just in the moment of seeking salvation, but when we are saved then, there's also this sense of where do we choose to align ourselves uh, with those who God loves. And that leads me into my kind of a, a move towards our closing here, but thinking about where is this salvation erupting on the scene today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you, you, you began us with looking at folks on the margins, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. saying, where would you see that sense of, I mean, my first answer is salvation is erupting on the scene everywhere. To be sure. But if we specifically look at places of the margin, people on the outside, yeah. where do you see examples of this today yeah. that can be for us? We, when we turn our eyes on that, we say, oh, this is, Salvation has a greater dimension than I ever knew. Yeah. It's a great question. And I think one of the things that the Gospels, especially Luke, wants to train us to do is to look to the margins first. Um, not because the margins are more holy or because God doesn't love the people at the center, but because there's something about God's activity and God's, there's this pattern in God's activity that goes to the margins, goes to those who most need God's intervention and God's salvation. Um, so I think... Um, I, so I'm, I'm from Puerto Rico, and Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens since the 1910s. So when we moved from Puerto Rico to the mainland, it was like moving from one state to another, except it wasn't because it was really hard culturally, but we didn't have to fill out forms and things like that. So I often, a couple years ago, there was a picture of, of a mother um, taking her daughter 
on this long journey through through Mexico to the U.S. border. Um, and at that point, um, we were in, in the habit of gassing people and, and trying to keep people away from the border and trying to, you know, to use um, gas to disperse migrants coming in. Um, and she's got her daughter by hand. She's kind of dragging her to safety. And I ponder that if history were a little bit different and my own experience as somebody in Latin America had been just slightly different, that could have been me dragging my child, um, trying to bring them into safety. I see there the hope of a better world, the people taking chances to improve the lives of their children, because if they stay where they are, they'll be hungry, uh, they'll be uh, fearful for the violence that might come upon them, they might, they might face death. And better to take the chance that there are people who will welcome us and give us a better shot than to stay here. Now, that's not everybody's story, um, but there's something about, for me, of being a parent that I know I would do anything to keep my children safe and to give them everything that I want them to have. This stuff gets political really easily, so it's not about partisanship or what we should do, but I think this basic hope that we see on somebody's faith uh, and in their actions that I think we should train ourselves to look around for. And we don't need to always, we can certainly look to the border and we can look to international context where people are suffering, but even in our own communities, uh, people are hungry, people are yearning, people are looking for belonging and inclusion, people are lonely and isolated, people are suffering from all kinds of maladies and infirmities. Look to those spaces to see that even in those spaces of great dire loss, there is this deep hope of a, of a world transformed. And for those of us who I think are in the often in the in the center of power or privilege or belonging, it's a reminder of how high a cost uh, there can be to, to experience those things that we take for granted. Um, and that's a form of liberation too, to to realize that the gifts that we have in our lives are not owed us, but often do come at the expense of other people. And that, that's something we need to be freed from as well. Yeah. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks, uh, Mike. Uh, continue to, uh, this conversation of broadening our, our sense of the dimension and shape of salvation, what God is doing in our midst and what God will continue to do. So. Appreciate that. Uh, we say we always invite our listeners to stay tuned for further episodes here of the Out of the Park podcast series for the Fran Park Center for Faith in Life. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.franparkcenter.org.